0: Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, it's so glad that you are here with us today, as we are taking a look. Boy, we're going to take a look at some things that I think are crucial for us in the culture to f- completely understand. And you know, one of the things that w- we lack uh, corporately—I mean, as a, a nation—not corporately in terms of profit broadcasting—we do that very, very well. But one of the things that we really do lack nationwide. Is a prof- there's a profound lack of understanding of different opinions, different viewpoints, but then ultimately it has to be couched in the truth. It has to be anchored in something that is um, based in reality. You know, I mean, it was, I think about the uh, Sir Isaac Newton, you know, issue of discovering gravity and how many people have benefited from understanding this is why things stay in the air, this is why things fall down, et cetera, et cetera. And yet, understanding that there are a lot of people who, in by today's standards, wouldn't have any of that knowledge because the, it didn't match their truth or their reality. Um, on today's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, for those who listen on K-Bright, uh, Southern California, uh, I, KLDC picks it up at a different time. It, 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 the terrestrial radio release of that podcast happens all over the place. If you enjoy listening to it on the radio, then uh, 4 o'clock, pacific time every thursday on uh, kbrt is where you can hear it it also shows up on kltt and KLZ, KLDC, et cetera, etc etc and kcbc uh who's not listening to us right now <laughs> uh, well at least not live uh picks it up at 10 30 on thursday morning this week's national crawford roundtable podcast that we talk about this very issue and, and it, it's john rush and bob duco and yours truly and we talk about it as it pertains to hunter biden and the daughter that he fathered out of wedlock um, he has a history of drug and alcohol abuse and all sorts of criminal activity he had an affair with a woman who was working in the adult industry I think she was a stripper or something like that and they wound up conceiving a child and this child uh, her name is Navy is now I believe four years of age and the Biden family refuses to acknowledge her Joe and Jill Biden have seven grandchildren, and yet everywhere they go in the media, they acknowledge that they have six. Um, Last year at Christmas, they made a big deal at the White House about having stockings for their six grandchildren as well as a couple of pets. Uh, Dr. Jill Biden did a children's book not too long ago, and she dedicated it to her six grandchildren. Navy is four. I mean, this is an unusual name, but she's four years old. Hunter Biden is her biological father, and this guy has gone so far to dis- distance himself from this affair. He actually went to court recently to deny the girl's mother. Not only he was trying to fight off alimony payments and child support payments, but he also was went to court to take legal action to keep her from using her father's name as her legal name. It, it's mind-boggling, and yet This is the world we're living in. And and I want to encourage us as Christians, we do definitely need to stand up to people who are trying to seek to do us harm and to change laws and to make it impossible for people who are sane to actually have their day in court, as it were. Ultimately, though, as Christians, that comes back further. It comes a a little deeper to the issue of going into all the world and preaching the gospel. The ultimate truth-telling is the fact that we are sinners and we can't free ourselves and we do not have the opportunity in our own strength or power to make things right with God. We do need to make things right with God and we don't have the power to make things right with God. The left thinks that what I'm talking about is a fairy tale. What was it? Arnold Schwarzenegger recently, heaven is a fairy tale. You know, it's like, well, he's gonna find out what a reality it is um, on the day that he meets his maker and learns to discover that all of that weight training and all that bodybuilding And all that money and all that political influence is not worth anything to somebody who is not right with God. But it's interesting when you see the sanctity of human life the way it plays out on the left. For those of us who are in the pro-life community, a baby is a baby. A person is a person no matter how small, I think Dr. Seuss once said. And we acknowledge that life comes from our creator, but also that every human life has value. The left doesn't have that mindset. The left says, the baby has value if I want it to have value. If I want that to be, if I want to be a bomb, then by golly, we're going to have a, a baby shower. We're going to have gender reveals. We're going to baby bump. Look at me and my, I mean, look at the cultural trend. Remember when a woman got pregnant in the 40s or 50s? If she wore a bathing suit, if she went out during bathing suit season at all, it was a one-piece thing that had stuff draped all over it. And the, you weren't trying to draw attention to your baby bump now you see somebody in hollywood hey look at me in a two-piece string bikini with my eight months pregnant belly hanging out there's really no modesty but the left loves celebrating the gift of life on their terms and it's interesting because through our relationship with the alliance defending freedom i found more and more cases where you see the lengths that those people who do not have the discernment to distinguish what what the, the moral basis of our law. Remember, Jenna Ellis wrote the book called The Legal Basis for a Moral Constitution. And in her book, which is her master's thesis, she basically made the argument that all of our rights are given by God. And that's the, the beauty of the American experiment. Now we haven't always passed laws that are based on those principles, but the core values of America are, we believe that we were all endowed with rights and. Alien, and inalienable rights endowed by our creator life liberty pursuit of happiness and if you use that as the benchmark then you see how corrupt our legal system has become people talk about how bad capitalism is how about the legal system how is it that you can look at life liberty and the pursuit of happiness as the basis of american law and then pass a law that says it's legal to kill a child in the womb it's legal for a man who fathers a child to say i want to disown this child legally and her mother has no legal rights it's crazy to think about this Many states have passed law, uh, laws that passed pro-life uh, legislation, and some have tried to fight against it. And this goes way back before Dobbs versus Jackson last June twenty fourth to twenty two. In nineteen ninety seven, for example, the state of Kansas passed legislation called a woman's right to know act. Now, what do you think that entails? Our friends at Preborn love this act, by the way. The woman's right to know act in Kansas ensures that a woman who wants to have an abortion can do so only after she has voluntarily been uh, has consented to do so after receiving full information of the dangers of abortion. It goes without saying that she's going to see an ultrasound of the child. And it goes without saying that she can't just schedule this thing and, and believe the lie of the left that this is just a cluster of tissue or a little bit of cells, it's, it, this is no pain, no, no problem, and that there will not be significant risks toward her health in the future. We call it informed consent. And it's amazing to me how many people on the left fight against it. We don't want parents being informed that their children have been to an abortion clinic and are considering killing their grandchildren. We we don't want women who go to an abortion clinic to know that there are scientifically proven risks to their mental, emotional, and physical health by having an abortion. Doesn't happen to every woman, but statistically, If a woman does have, she's 500% more likely to have a suicidal moment or a moment of depression as a result of all this. So fast forward to our friends, quote unquote, at Planned Parenthood and other abortion groups, because they don't like that law. They don't like the fact that if a woman is given, see, here's the great thing about the truth. Truth is the truth, no matter what we do to it or how we try to defend it. If the abortionists are right and pro-lifers are wrong, Telling women about the potential dangers of abortion will not dissuade them from having abortions. In the same way that a woman who is pregnant and carrying a child and hears only pro-abortion mantra, if she says, no, that's not right, I believe that's killing the child and I'm not gonna do that to the baby, it's not the baby's fault. See, that's the beautiful thing. Truth is always true, whether we believe it or not. And in the same way, if someone tells you a lie the truth can withstand a lie. I mean, it really can. The truth doesn't become untrue because people keep telling the same lie over and over again. Well, there is a case called Hodges and Nazer versus Kobach. And in this case, Planned Parenthood and other abortionists in the state of Kansas are challenging the Woman's Right to Know Act. They're also saying that... Uh, let's face it, Women's Right to Know Act also means for women who choose to not abort their child, there's financial assistance available, there's medical assistance, legal assistance available. If you want to release your child for adoption, that costs money. The The state of Kansas gets it right. But Planned Parenthood misses the point. Planned Parenthood has decided... That the woman's right to know act in Kansas actually is a lie, and it's harmful, and it's dangerous, and it's bad for women, and it's bad for babies. Denise Harrell is the director of the ADF Center for Life and Senior Counsel for Alliance Defending Freedom, and she this is her response to Kansas's law and the challenge against it. Quote, every human life is valuable. Every baby deserves to be protected, and every mother needs adequate time and information to feel empowered to make the best decision for herself and her family. The state of Kansas rightly enacted critical pro-life and pro-woman measures because without adequate informed consent, pregnant mothers will not be able to meaningfully consider the impact of abortion on themselves or their child. We are urging the court to uphold the state's duly enacted law on behalf of all current and future Kansans. i mean thank you (laughs) thank you denise harley i mean my goodness i mean this is such common sense and yet the folks at planned parenthood have completely missed the point they don't fully understand how egregious their error is in saying it isn't fair to women to force them to get informed consent they really don't understand what the law is they don't understand how to interpret the constitution I mentioned preborn of course preborn is part of that informed consent uh, panel and uh, when you make a donation to preborn today your gift of $100 is doubled thanks to a matching gift from Dennis Wilson $100 becomes 200 200 becomes 400 500 becomes 1000 you get the idea every $28 provides another ultrasound appointment for a woman at a preborn clinic whether it be in Kansas California Colorado and every $15,000 we raise means one more a, a ultrasound machine will be put into a pro- pregnancy center for preborn. So give that gift online today. Let's use up this match while we still have it available. It's only available for a couple more days. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229. Or go online to kbrightradio.com or rogermarsh.com. And uh, you can click the preborn banner there and uh, give your best tax-deductible donation there it's amazing how many people will look at the bible will look at the constitution will look at uh, the laws of the land and they will read these laws and they'll read them incorrectly and then go off half cocked ready to make some kind of legal change or legal challenge as christians it's so important for us to get the interpretation of scripture right and the interpretation of the laws right steve richardson is a bible teacher who specializes in hermeneutics the study you know understanding what the text actually means he has started a new ministry that's helping Christians not only joy, uh, experience the joy of interpretation of of biblical text, but also of our Constitution and of our laws as well. His new book is called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Steve Richardson joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. lasts at least 10 years now take that cost fifteen thousand dollars and divide that by twenty five hundred okay now you begin to see how the cost for ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics make a donation right now to pre-born it's completely tax deductible and every penny every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine It seems like something that most of us are pretty comfortable with the idea. If you read words, you understand what they mean, and you act upon them. But there's a step involved to getting to the understanding part that is involved in in interpreting not only what the words say, but what they were meant to say and how we should then apply them into our lives. And it seems as though more and more people are having a tougher time with that act of interpretation so today here on the bottom line we're bringing in an expert of sorts steve richardson uh, who has his undergraduate degree in biblical studies from trinity college of the bible and theological seminary in Newburgh, indiana has taught hermeneutics classes in various churches and ministries uh, for many many years uh, bivocationally as he's had a, a business as well he's the author of a brand new book that's called the joy of interpretation and the misery how interpretation impacts your life and it's a fascinating book because of the uh, of course the spiritual ramifications but also the societal and political ramifications of getting the interpretation right as well steve richardson welcome to the bottom line show today all right thank you thank you for having us i love the fact that we're going to take a look at this from the vantage point of not only as i mentioned religious but also political and philosophical as well what led you to want to Put a book like this together because i mean you do tackle some supreme court decisions you do handle you know some of the more religious uh, aspects of our life and really kind of get into a uh, philosophical discussion about interpretation does it seem to you steve richard that fewer and fewer people have the gift of interpretation to be able to read something like a political document or a law or or god's word and interpret it properly
1: well um we go to school and we master techniques to be able to pronounce words, put letters together and sentences and figure out what paragraphs are. But it te- seems like at some, time, at some point we just sort of stop that process. We think, OK, I've learned to read and I don't really need to go any further. But the truth of the matter is, is we need to always become better and better readers, you know. especially Christians who read the Bible for their spiritual freedom and Americans who read the U.S. Constitution for their political freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, those two documents of ultimate authority have a lot of impact on our lives. And, you know, you get them right and it brings joy. And if you, when it goes wrong, it brings some misery into our
0: lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it seems like when it comes to interpretation, that's something that uh, uh, really has kind of fallen by the wayside. I'm sure there are a lot of people who say, well, I can interpret the law. I can read scripture because my pastor's a good teacher and I watch MSNBC. And you and I both know that that it's getting tougher and tougher because, even in the pulpit, where it seems as though, I mean, we know the news headlines are really skewed toward trying to make you feel a certain way or believe a certain thing, even though they don't tell the whole story. And that happens on both sides of the equation. But pastoral ministry has kind of boiled down to a three points in a poem. And here's the easy way, rather than getting into the real meat of the text to understand what's going on. We're kind of going for meat-flavored milk, as opposed to really getting into the subject. And without interpretation, we're kind of lost, aren't we?
1: Yes, we do need to get better and better at it. It, Interpretation is something that we do all day. Uh, When you read a stop sign, you're interpreting a text or a lawnmower manual or uh, Major League Baseball rule book, uh, the Bible, the Constitution. All of these texts, we're just constantly reading all day. What my book is trying to do is to make us aware that we are doing that and help make some suggestions and show some principles so that we can do it even better. the truth of the matter is, is I'm not trying to scare people off from taking my classes or from right. reading my book. But the truth of the matter is, is most people are pretty good interpreters. Uh, the most important thing you can bring with you to a text is common sense. Now you need more than that. That's why I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. But people are fairly good interpreters. But we always we need to get better. All of us, I'm sure. Some, you know, a lot of us are better in our diets now than we were, you know, 10 or 20 years ago, we're a lot more conscious of things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we've been improving it. In the same way, we need to improve our ability to really get to the heart of attacks, especially those that make serious demands on our beliefs and our behaviors in the way that the Bible and the constitution do.
0: Steve Richardson, my guest today here on the bottom line. I'm Roger Marsh. Steve's book is called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. show.com. Are I hear this phrase a lot, Steve? And I, I would imagine it makes your skin crawl to too. When you hear people saying, Well, this is my truth. I'm speaking my truth. And you're saying, wait, wait a minute. I mean, there is truth, it is knowable. And the fact that some people says, this is my truth, this is my reality. It makes me wonder, does that mean that there are, are there laws of interpretation that are kind of subjective or are they universal? Are they knowable and understandable? Uh, For the most part,
1: uh, they are universally universal. There are universally valid principles of writing and reading and speaking and hearing. Uh, however, they have been under attack, especially in postmodern times. And uh, when you hear people say something like, you know, this is my truth versus that truth, I mean, those are just some silly philosophical mistakes. I mean, there is only truth, not my, my truth or yours. Right. Um, and uh, that is one of, the, uh, pro- one of the things that interpretation will do is make you stop and think about what they are saying. That is such a bad philosophical mistake, and uh, it is just uh, violates, you know, really all the principles we know about pursuing and maintaining truth. It was
0: in 1517 that Martin Luther led what became known as the Protestant Reformation, Um, and people will say, well, that's because a Jesuit priest was actually, you know, looking at the scriptures, trying to square it up with what the Catholic Church was teaching, and he had some questions, but That whole Reformation season in the 16th century was a lot more than just Martin Luther, wasn't it? You you write about that in the book. Talk about that, if you would.
1: Well, uh, if you – when you go to school, go to college, you take a class in Western Civ, one of the major periods, you know, is is the Reformation period. Uh, It's like Renaissance and, you know, a lot of other periods that you study. That was a religious experience. And uh, it was a major event in Western civilization, and the event boiled down to this. How do you interpret the Bible? That was what that entire argument was about. And what we had there at that time was that the Bible, which is the document of ultimate authority for our religious beliefs and behavior, had become buried under just decades and and centuries of commentaries and opinions and writings and papal bulls and that sort of thing. And Martin Luther uh, was able to, um, through a series of events, realize that the true meaning of Scripture had been buried under just tons and tons of that, of inferences and hearsay. Uh, Martin Luther was working on his Ph.D. in theology and had never read the entire New Testament. At that time, uh, at that time, you studied the writings of church fathers and of uh, other theologians instead of the actual text itself. But he said, "Let's go back and look at the text itself," and that was really the start of, or the seed of what grew into the Protestant Reformation.
2: Mm.
0: You know, when I think and, about uh, what it
1: was all. What had happened there is a lot of spiritual misery had come into the church because of bad interpretation, because we had gotten away from the Bible. That's what part of my title is there, the joy of interpretation and the misery. Mm
0: -hmm. There was
1: a lot of spiritual misery at that time because of bad interpretation that had been piled upon bad interpretation upon bad interpretation for centuries. And what they experienced there was what I call interpretational collapse there comes a point where a document of ultimate authority has been so squeezed and manipulated and tortured that it becomes so obvious that something like that has to event. Something has to occur. And it's kind of like the building up forces of tectonic plates. Occasionally you have an earthquake. Mm -hmm. And in Martin Luther's time, it was just had reached the breaking point. Interpretational collapse just occurred.
0: It's interesting to hear you say that, uh, Steve, because I think about the the fact that there are so many people who are looking at, you know, uh, Christianity, for example, and, and putting kind of the progressive spin on it and saying, well, it has to evolve. It has to change. It has to this that the other thing. And, and something tells me that your version of that would be more not so much a we're evolving, getting better, we're progressing, but rather the pressure is just building up, building up, building up. And at some point there's going to be another earthquake of sorts, like we saw during the Reformation that would actually just get us back to where we're supposed to be, as opposed to thrusting us forward into the future. Uh, The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, the brand new book by Pastor Steve Richardson. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna get a little political for just a moment, but especially for those of us in the body of Christ, as more and more people do have the drive to see laws changed the constitution upheld etc cetera, etc cetera. the foundations especially of our nation upheld uh we have to ask the question what is the driving motivator behind that we'll get into that with steve richardson in just a moment as the bottom line continues welcome back to the bottom line show i'm roger marsh steve richardson is my guest and we're talking about his book the joy of interpretation and the misery how interpretation impacts your life and we've got a link for this book up at the BottomLineShow.com. we've got a copy of the book to give away Uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And boy, I know Crystal's all warmed up and ready to go. She needed a nap after yesterday's program. I had a dozen or so people call in for those two code books we were giving away. So I know this one's going to be a big one, too, especially this ties very nicely into what we're going to be discussing later today on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast about how, the interpretation of law or the interpretation of scripture, uh, if it gets misconstrued, then you have someone who professes to be a good God fearing Catholic like Joe Biden denying the existence of his granddaughter. You know, just because we said so. See, the key with interpretation is if you believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God, then we have to be able to understand it and interpret it, not so much say, well, this is right and this is wrong, but rather say, okay, this is inspired by God. We got to figure it out. And if all of our rights through the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence come because they're God-breathed, God-inspired, inalienable rights endowed by our Creator, we have to understand how to interpret those as well from a biblical worldview, not just to say America first, but to say if God endorsed and ordained this nation, we better understand what he's talking about and what he means by that. Steve Richardson's book, The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, is up at TheBottomLineShow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. 800-696-9970 or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Steve Richardson is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. The book is called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. And we've got a link for this book up at the thebottomlineshow.com at uh, the Opening segment, we talked about the three areas, of course, where this happens philosophically, religiously, and then also politically. And during the break, Steve and I were having a a very spirited conversation about as we compare what happened with Martin Luther and the uh, Protestant Reformation and the age of Reformation in the 16th century uh, and how there's this big tectonic shift in terms of uh, kind of getting rid of some of the cultural debris that had been piling up in the church. Uh, Steve, you are of the opinion that we're seeing the same thing here in the U.S. And boy, if I had a dollar for every time I heard someone say that's unconstitutional, you know, and I realize, okay, well, chances are the person who's making a statement like that doesn't really understand the Constitution, hasn't read it. And even if they did read it, couldn't properly interpret it as Christians. I see there's kind of a desire right now for a lot of people of faith to say we've got to take back the Constitution. Let's get more constitutionally involved, et cetera, et cetera, almost with a religious fervor. I don't get the sense that you would disagree with that, but I think our reasoning might be different. Talk about that for a moment, if you would. Well, um, generally speaking, uh, Christians
1: are calling for us to go back to the original meaning. And I guess what you would call is our ideological opponents, uh, liberals or the left, uh, they're just wanting to uh, create constitutional law. You know, I On their own terms, Mm -hmm. and uh, Christians tend to want to keep the country in line with the Constitution, and the left and the liberals want to keep, you know, the the Constitution in line with the culture, and that's just not what a Constitution is designed to do. The Constitution serves as a break on those kind of changes, Mm -hmm. but uh, because a literal or a uh, more Serious and scholarly reading of the Constitution um, would hamper a lot of the liberal and um, a lot of liberal agenda. Uh, they tend to rather interpret it or away or circumvent it through some nonsensical interpretations. A lot of sometimes it's motivated by incompetence or it's motivated by you know malfeasance and uh,
0: intention. So moving forward, then, what do you make of what's happening in the culture right now in terms of, it, it, are you sensing that there's kind of a constitutional reformation coming, not unlike what we saw a lot those many years ago with Martin Luther?
1: Well, one thing for sure, we need a constitutional reformation. Uh, we have had about 230 years of experience of this constitution. And there have been some uh, interpretive heresies that have crept in that need to be dealt with, just like Martin Luther and the church at that time dealt with uh, biblical uh, interpretations that had gone astray. Mm-hmm. We need to do the same thing. Um, I have a, an organization that we're working on It's called the Center for Constitutional Reformation, and we are trying to uh, bring awareness and education to the changes that have crept in slowly into constitutional interpretation and how maybe we can go get back to that. And I do applaud the um, ruling recently, the Dobbs decision, which took put the uh, abortion issue back to the states right, and uh, took it away from federalizing it. And um, that was a step in the right direction. Now, we need a lot more of that type of thing. There's a lot more of constitutional ground that needs to be addressed and covered and reconsidered. But that was a small down payment on what I would consider as a constitutional reformation, something that we need.
0: You know, as we think about where we are right now in the culture, and especially with the church really starting to mobilize, get more involved in the political side of things, with constitutional law and whatnot, but also using this as an opportunity to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Steve, I know that your many years of Bible teaching and also uh, interpretive study have led you to get ready to launch a new organization that's actually going to marry the two of these. Talk about that, if you would. Well,
1: um, our goal is uh, to try to educate as many people as we can and uh, try to improve their interpretive skills make them a little more aware, uh, ability to spot interpretive error when they incur it, uh, in, encounter it, whether that's biblical interpretation or constitutional interpretation. But uh, these two documents, these two great codes, you know, really impact our behavior and our belief. And uh, a lot of misery can be brought into our lives when it goes wrong. Uh, I was probably eight years old when, or, or ten years old when prayer was removed out of school. And um, in my book, part three of my book deals with constitutional interpretation, and it does a history of Supreme Court interpretation, and it focuses in on the removal of prayer from public schools. I mean, I could have chosen to write on gay marriage. I could have written on abortion, but I chose school prayer as an illustration to show how judicial decision-making changed over the years where in 1963 uh, it was removed from all public schools. The point of it is for 175 years, millions and millions and millions of Americans thought it was constitutional to have Bible reading and prayer in our public schools. But in 1963, uh, some liberal judges said they discovered something and made a decision that it was now unconstitutional. And uh, Justice Scalia, he commented on that and he said it's amazing to him that how that a group of lawyers or, or a lawyer who um, joins the court all of a sudden he starts seeing things that are unconstitutional that millions of Americans for, you know, 200 years thought was constitutional. So mm-hmm. it's an amazing transformation that happens and uh, he was definitely opposed to it.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. uh, Well, it's interesting, Steve. We're talking with Steve Richardson today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. We've got a link for it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I remember reading when the Dobbs decision was coming up that people were pulling up quotes from Ruth Bader Ginsburg saying that she thought Roe versus Wade was an overreach. And I thought, isn't that interesting that someone who became the lion of leftism on the U.S. Supreme Court understood that constitutionally there really was no base for Roe versus Wade being passed in the first place. And yet, because of modern interpretations and, you know, kind of wetting your finger to see which way the wind is blowing, even someone like she who knew the Constitution so well, that's how she was, you know, uh, adjudicating, as it were. And, uh, you know, and basically legislating for the bench and the highest bench of the land.
1: Well, she was uh, our uh, an ideological opponent of ours on so many things. But on that point, she got that one right. Uh, Roe versus Wade. She knew that was a weak decision. It was just fabricated completely out of thin air. There's no. They attempted to paint it up with constitutional wording, but uh, there it's just there. There was just no precedent, and no legitimate interpretation really supported that. It's mm-hmm. something they wanted, and it's something they did. And um, I just in my book I wanted. On the issue of school prayer, I show the genealogy of the transformation of Supreme Court decision making, which eventually led to the removal of prayer from school. So, um, if you can, if you kind of understand that, you start to understand, you know, the abortion issue, you understand gay marriage, how it was created out of thin air. It's just judges who are, are, ruling based um, on their own preferences. Mm.
0: So, Steve Richardson, what is the solution? How do we as Christians do a better job not only of interpreting um, scripture, but also interpreting legal documents like the Constitution? And I guess more directly, how do we use that to help fill, fulfill the Great Commission? I mean, we, it seems like it would be a full-time job just working on any one of those areas, but yet we've got you know those commands in Matthew and Mark to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How do we yes. take something like this, which is key, and kind of infuse it into, the, into that conversation?
1: Well, for one thing that we could do is incorporate uh, these type of classes, classes on interpretation, as part of our Sunday school curriculum. You get that when you go to Bible college. And, you know, homiletics, that's how to how to preach. And you take classes at seminary on hermeneutics, which is how mm-hmm. to interpret the Bible. But for some reason, we don't offer those classes to Sunday school departments. That's just odd to me. When mm-hmm. I first approached uh, our Sunday school superintendent and said, I would like to teach a class on biblical interpretation, a hermeneutics class. And uh, he said, well, I think we need to leave that to colleges. I don't think the people would be interested. Well, I finally persuaded him to let us have one, and it was it was a big success. We had a lot of people come out, and uh, it was nice. But it was odd to me that we don't teach Christians to do explicitly what we do, which is interpret text. And Scalia, in his book, A Matter of Interpretation, talked about the same thing about lawyers. He said, Mm -hmm. we do not offer any classes in our law schools on how to do what we do, which is interpret text and statutes. Mm -hmm. He said, we expect our lawyers just to pick the stuff up piecemeal because we really don't have any books or treatises uh, actually giving guidance in that way. So in two important areas in our Sunday school in our church life, and in law school, this subject is neglected and overlooked, and we just people kind of pick it up piecemeal. So, I'm trying to offer us a little more of a systematic way of understanding the the problems of a text and the strengths of a text, its advantages and its disadvantages, and um, you know whether that text, no matter what that text is, um, a text is a wonderful Apparatus for transmitting knowledge through space right. and time, right. but it does encounter some obstacles, and we need to know how to get around them. The problem is, is our opponents say, "Well, those problems can't be surmounted," you know. So we're just left to make it up on our own, which is not true. Um, th- there are issues with interpreting ancient text and with constitutional text, but it's something that can be done. I mean, if it's not, then I guess. We need to toss these books in the trash, along with Aristotle, (laughs) Plato, and Mm. uh, the Divine Comedy, and just, you know, everything. We definitely uh, need to become better readers. And there are so many wonderful books out there on the subject of interpretation. Uh, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Mm -hmm. That is a wonderful book. That's the first book I ever started reading myself. And almost any seminary that you go to, part of their hermeneutic and interpretation class will include that book. Uh, Robert Stein has some great books, uh, um, and there are many more. So there's some wonderful books out there on the subject. And they're fascinating to me. Obviously, yeah. I've been studying it for decades and I, wrote yeah. a book on the subject. Yeah, absolutely. So that... It's just fascinating. You know, the truth of the matter is, if we make a mistake when we interpret a Shakespearean play or a Robert Frost poem, you know, it's unlikely to entail significant consequences. But the same sloppiness in interpreting the U.S. Constitution and the Bible can result in, you know, severe consequences, because these uh, these make authoritative demands on our belief and our behaviors. So Indeed. my book is trying to offer some guidance to more successfully navigate, you know, the interpretive landscape, whether biblical or constitutional.
0: And I believe it succeeds. Steve Richardson has been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. There's a link for the book up at the thebottomlineshow.com. Quickly, Steve, as we wrap up our time together, how do we reach you online, especially with your new venture coming in?
1: I can be contacted at uh, ConstitutionalReformation.com.
0: All right. Well, we got it. Steve Richardson, thank you so much for being with us today here on The Bottom Line. Really appreciate the time. All right. Thank you. What a powerful conversation with Steve Richardson today here on The Bottom Line Show. The book is called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life. And you'll see that there's a a copy of scripture on the cover of the book, but also a copy of, you know, we the people in order to, uh, the United States in order to form a more perfect union, uh, talking about the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. We have one copy of Steve's book to give away, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, one copy of the book, The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery by Steve Richardson. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line earlier in the program and if you didn't hear the first half hour of the broadcast i encourage you to go to our podcast at thebottomlineshow.com at the end and make sure you catch up on this one I was talking about the kansas law the woman's right to know act and how planned parenthood is trying to challenge it um so grateful that not only alliance defending freedom um where there's a banner at uh kbrightradio.com and crawfordmediagroup.net you can make a donation to support alliance defending freedom as they stand up for the sanctity of human life but also give a gift in support of the ministry of preborn paula who's one of our listeners in north las vegas listening on the kbright app Gave a donation at the end of yesterday's program—a $28 donation, Paula. Thank you. That's completely tax-deductible, and all $28 goes to providing financial support for a woman who goes to a preborn clinic and gets an ultrasound appointment, basically for the pictures and for the the video and and the pregnancy test and everything. 85% of the women who go to preborn clinics and have that ultrasound process done wind up choosing life for their baby. Either they're going to be parents or they're going to release the child for adoption and then pre-born helps them find how to get the right medical care, legal advice, et cetera, et cetera. Every $28 we donate saves another life. So Paula, thank you for saving another life. How about a couple of uh, monthly donors today? 833-850-BABY. $28 each month saves a baby's life every month. And trust me, tw- $28 a month, <laughs> I mean, that's, it, it's very, very doable and it's tax deductible. 833-850-BABY is the number to call for preborn. 833 833-850-2229 or go online to kbrightradio.com or the thebottomlineshow.com and you can uh, give a gift there. We're going to take a quick break. A couple days ago I mentioned some of the bills that uh, went into effect on July the 1st here at Cal- People's Republic of California starting out uh, the fiscal year on July 1st but Because of the budget deficit, there were countless others, more than 300 as a matter of fact, that actually wound up not making the cut because of the $31.5, $32 billion budget deficit here in the Golden State. We'll tell you about some of those because this is actually good news for Christians. Coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My thanks again to Steve Richardson, a Bible teacher, expert in hermeneutics, which is the study of interpreting scripture, who's written a great book on that subject called The Joy of Interpretation and the Misery, How Interpretation Impacts Your Life, whether it's reading the Bible or the Constitution. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line, 800-227-5278. And give Crystal a call right now. And trust me, we've got one copy of this book to give away. But uh, if there are other resources, we're giving away stuff. we got lots of things to give away. You just got to ask Crystal very nicely and politely. Remember a couple of years ago when the pandemic was fresh and new and Governor Newsom was getting all sorts of kudos for shutting the state down and we have a budget surplus and yakety-schmackety, blah, blah, blah. Well, now California is back and open again. And all those businesses that got mowed down by his legislation and draconian lockdowns aren't back in business anymore and all of a sudden California doesn't have a 51 billion dollar budget surplus but a 32 billion dollar shortfall so here's the deal i mean california lawmakers will introduce around 2000 bills every year um the senate puts the bill in a suspense file if they would cost at least fifty thousand. the assembly puts it if it's 150 and then it's the appropriations committees that decide uh which ones to will live to see another day Um, basically sometimes the suspense file is a bailout because if something goes into a, a suspense file situation and then they wind up killing the bill it just means lawmakers don't have to vote on it and sometimes that's politically expedient. Um, one of the bills that wound up going in this file and then getting killed was a bill that would have cost uh, taxpayers a lot of money to allow more people who are wrongfully convicted of crimes to seek compensation from the state after they're exonerated. That bill was going to cost the state 10 to 15 million dollars a year, and the state decided they would crush that one. Um, interesting. Well, there's so much talk about reparations and so much talk about making wrongs right. If someone is wrongfully convicted, should they not have the right to sue the state? I think they should. But the fact that it was going to cost the state 10 to 15 million dollars, your state legislature said, "No, nah, we're not going to put that on the bill, on the on the on the docket. We're just going to put it in the suspense file and let it get killed. Now, here's another one that I think actually would have been politically difficult for even the Democrat majority in California to understand, there was another bill that would have put a situation where the state would not be allowed to collect interest on child support. Now, they decided that uh, having a bill that would prohibit the state from collecting interest on child support wasn't a good idea because that whole system is in arrears, something like, $18 $18 million right now. And again, the thought was, well, we're in arrears on our child support collections, so therefore we need to tax other people. Um, here's another one that wound up. Uh, the Democrat leaders protected a lot of the state's social safety net, but they also scrapped something that once again, people would say, do you really care about families? There was a bill, Assembly Bill 1128 by Assemblymember Miguel Santiago of Los Angeles that would have removed an age cap on the California Young Child Tax Credit. It allows families that are eligible with children under the age of six to get up to $1,000 in a tax credit every year. Santiago said that he wanted to push for an extra $700 million in the state budget because California families deserve relief against inflation so they could afford necessities such as food and rent. Well, technically now what would have happened is if they had done that, the California Young Child Tax Credit would have made it possible for people to get that $1,000 if they had kids up to the age of 18. Well, tax credits are typically bribes to democrat voters you watch it got shelved for this year watch that one turn back up again next year for sure a couple other bills that are worth note and we'll take a look at them on the other side of this break uh don't forget we're giving away steve richardson's book on uh, the joy of interpretation and also the mi- the misery of it as well 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 800-227-5278 the number to get you through to the bottom line
2: You've been in an accident and the worst thing you can do is to wait to contact Stephanie at Cover Law. Stephanie frequently talks to people who waited too long to seek help with their cases or tried to handle them on their own. And by then, it's too late. Family and friends mean well, but they can give truly bad advice. Often even trusted advisors will try and convince you to wait for more compensation. Stephanie knows the insurance companies want you to wait, they don't want you to file police reports, and they don't want you to reach out to Stephanie at Cover Law. That's because Stephanie is keenly aware of the tactics they use and why. She spent 20 years litigating for insurance companies and knows the strategy they will use to minimize their liability and your awarded amount. Insurance companies are for profit. They don't share Stephanie's Christian values, and typically they won't be fair to you. Don't deny yourself the ability to get better. Go with a proven expert in the field of personal injury and contact Cover Law at kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R today.
0: Well, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I brought your Marshall. We're taking a look at some bills here in California that actually did not make the cut. And it's interesting. Uh, uh, there was a, remember there in Monterey Park in January, there was a mass shooting, 11 people dead. There was all sorts of new gun control legislation and uh, most of those bills actually passed but when it came to police reform uh kevin mccarty democrat from sacramento scored a win for the defund the police movement back in 2020 after all the racially motivated killings that would curb police shootings uh that he wanted to require the state department of justice to investigate deadly shootings of unarmed citizens He tried to expand the law this year to include all fatal police incidents, including those that result in the death of someone who was armed in instances when officers use deadly force other than a firearm. But the state agency said uh, it really has not been able to move through the caseload. As a matter of fact, since that law went into effect in January of 2021, you know how many cases have been closed of this police brutality? Two. There are dozens more in the queue, but two. Basically, his attempt to try to pin every officer-involved fatality of somebody else as the police's fault, people are seeing through it. So there is definitely some good news on that front that's happening. But when it comes to interpreting the law, interpreting the signs of the times, brothers and sisters, we should not be disappointed when we see what's happening in the world. We know people who don't love God Have no discernment, and people who claim to love God but show no discernment—I mean, really don't have a love of God. And you know, it's it's so very interesting. I was talking to a filmmaker, Christian filmmaker, and a pastor, uh, right around the time that the Noah movie came out. It Was Wes Anderson, I think, made it? It was kind of a crazy, had the Nephilim stuff in it. It was it was kind of an odd movie. And a lot of people said, Is that even biblical? You know, it's kind of subject to fantasy interpretation. It looks like Avatar meets uh, the Prince of Egypt. You know, what do we do? And I asked this pastor and filmmaker, I said, What do you think of this movie? And he said, Well, I don't really think that much of it. But then again, I don't expect Hollywood to understand the Bible and get the Bible right. Let's put the responsibility squarely where it belongs. You and me. We have been called to wisdom, not just data collection and information gathering, and even basic knowledge wisdom is the biblical mandate and if we are going to uh, share the good news with people who need to hear it we have to be wise as serpents and gentle as doves that is good news and that's the bottom line for our kcbc audience enjoy the rest of your afternoon and rabbi schneider with discovering the jewish jesus coming up next for those who remain on the network it's this week's edition of the national crawford roundtable podcast it's coming your way next as the bottom line continues